Alrighty, hello, my name is Miles Cheadle, and welcome back to another episode of the PS Plus. This is a Living Faith Bible Institute podcast, and it serves as a companion to the postscript. Now on that podcast, my friend and my pastor, Brandon Briscoe, speaks with other pastors and professors from the Living Faith Bible Institute on a wide array of topics. They'll explore topics that deal with different aspects of theology, or of church history or missions. And in this podcast, we deal with more focused topics in a series format. And right now we're working through a series focused on Jesus Christ. This is our ninth and our final episode in that series. And so I'm glad that you made it this far. We will conclude what's been really a high level overview of the ministry of Jesus Christ. And we began with his pre-incarnate works meaning Jesus working in and through this world before he was ever born. And then we focus in on his birth and his earthly ministry all the way to his second advent, which we will discuss today. And so my prayer is that this has been both challenging and edifying to you. I know it has been for me. And by way of recap, in our last episode, we discussed the present ministry of Jesus Christ. And so again, we know of his death, his burial, his resurrection, and we know that he's coming again. But there's been about 2,000 years in between, and people often forget that Jesus, I mean, he is a risen savior. He is alive and he is active even today. And so last week we learned that Jesus Christ currently operates as our great high priest, where he ever lives to make intercession for us. Jesus, right now, he's seated at the right hand of the Father, He's praying for you. But we also learned in John 14 too, that Jesus, he put his old carpentry skills right back to work. He's actually actively preparing a place for us. In this chapter, Jesus says, I will come again and receive you unto myself. And where I am, there ye may be also. And so this is exciting. This is good news for every believer Jesus Christ promises to come back for us. And so today we will discuss two simple ideas. First, as a believer, we have a hope in the second coming of Christ. And two, the reality of his coming should motivate us to get to work. And so I hope you're ready to dig in. Let's do this thing. So if you've been following this series, you know that I've been attempting to give a framework to view different seasons of Christ's ministry through. The earthly ministry of Christ we viewed through the lens of a prophet, where he performed signs and miracles. He taught with authority, proclaiming a word from the Lord. And ultimately, we learned that he even died a prophet's death. From the resurrection and current ministry of Christ, we viewed him through the lens of a priest. His job was to reconcile men to God. He presented himself as a true sacrifice in the heavenly temple, where he functions as the great high priest and mediator between man and God. And today, in his second coming, we can't miss that Christ is king. It's literally written on his thighs, king of kings and lord of lords. And Christ's second coming Rather than coming as a humble servant, Christ will come as a mighty king, 
And rather than allowing creation to butcher him, he will take his rightful throne and rule and reign with a rod of iron. And so let's set this up really in two parts. The reality of Christ's coming for every believer, well, it should be hope and anxious anticipation. And so I don't know if you know this or not, but, but Christ, if he saved you from sin and death, then regardless of your biology, you make up a big old girl. That's right. You make up a big old girl called the church, which is the bride of Christ. And just like any sensible girl is eager and excited for the eve of her wedding day, well, it's only sensible that us, as the bride of Christ, as the church, would be eager and excited with expectation for ours. Jesus Christ, he's coming back to meet his bride in the clouds. In 1 Thessalonians 4, it makes sure that we are not ignorant of this reality. And just as a pro tip, you know, there's a few instances where both Paul and Peter call us not to be ignorant of things. That's good homework. Every believer should know these things. But in 1 Thessalonians 4, it spells out what we should not be ignorant of. And it's the rapture of the church. And so what we learn is that preceding Christ coming back bodily to crack some noggins and to take the throne, well, he has a little teaser where he comes back in the clouds. And according to 1 Thessalonians 4.18, we are to comfort one another with these words. With what? What do we comfort each other with? Well, we get to comfort each other with the reality of Christ coming back for his bride. With the rapture of the church, every believer in Christ has hope. According to 1 Thessalonians 5, we get to rejoice because Christ has not appointed us to wrath. You see, the reality is that the time preceding Christ's second coming will be amongst the most destructive days that this world has ever seen. It is a terrible day. And so if we are raptured with Christ, then we're spared from the wrath to come. And so the first thing that we get to hope in is that Christ will come for his bride right in the nick of time. That the rapture of the church, 1 Thessalonians 4, will precede the wrath to come in this time of great tribulation, this time of Jacob's trouble, this time of persecution and utter destruction. But also, we get to hope in Christ for a glorified body. You know, the rapture of the church means that I get to put off this vile body and I get to put on one that's fashioned like his glorious body. We get to put on immortality and incorruption. The rapture of the church, well, it means the full redemption and glorification of our body. You know, whenever you, you play basketball and your, your back aches and your knees are sore, well, say goodbye to that. You know, you can call me LeBron James or Michael Jordan. I'll be dunking in heaven. It's going to be awesome. But also, the hope of every believer is that we're restored to those who fell asleep before us. And when I say sleep, I don't mean they're just taking a nap. Whenever the Bible talks about sleep, it's referring to death. And so many of us know dear loved ones or friends or, or family that have passed on before us. 
And if we are a believer and if they're a believer, then the great hope that we have is of this beautiful reunion in the air. In 1 Thessalonians 4, it talks about us being caught up in the clouds together, where we have this beautiful reunion with friends and families and, and, and loved ones that passed before us. But lastly, the hope that every believer has is that we will be reunited, reunited with our Lord. Ultimately, the hope of every believer is that we get to see Jesus face to face, the one that loved us, the one that saved us. You know, Jesus, he is our reward. And so the hope of Christ's second coming, it should create focus for us today. A bride, you know, she wants to present herself pure on her wedding day. And so the reality of Christ's coming, it should promote holiness in the bride of Christ. And a bride, well, she wants to be prepared for her wedding day. And so the reality of Christ's coming should also promote productivity. And so there's great motivation in the hope of Christ's second coming for his bride. And yet, Christ knows that alongside hope, fear is a great motivator. And Christ stealing his church away, I mean, that's cause for great celebration. And yet, it triggers a time of great tribulation. And Jeremiah calls it this time of Jacob's trouble. This will be a time where the church is removed and the focus pans back to the nation of Israel. And persecution will be unleashed on this earth like never before, with the Antichrist leading this charge. And yet, one of the greatest revivals will come into play during this time. And it's during this time that Jesus will return bodily to defeat the Antichrist and the nations that stand with him. As we look at Revelation chapter 19, verse 11, it says, and I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew, but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun and he cried with a loud voice saying to the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God that ye may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains in the flesh of mighty men, in the flesh of horses, and of them that sit on them, in the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. In Revelation 19, we see clear as day the coming 
of a fierce king who in righteousness doth judge and make war. This is a gruesome day. The flesh of kings, captains, men, and beasts are all destroyed in his midst. Nations follow in rebellion against the king of kings, and there is righteous judgment. My point here is that God, he's good, and he doesn't hide any of this from us. This is a terrible day, and he wants you to reckon it, to allow it to break you. You see, the reality is that death and judgment, hellfire, these are realities that the way of this world leads to. And your neighbor, your classmate, your coworker, your, your family member, outside of the gospel, changing the trajectory of their life, well, they will stand in opposition to this very God at his coming. And they will suffer eternal torment in the lake of fire. You see, God, he isn't willing that any would perish. He's desirous that all would come to repentance. And he desires that both the hope of his coming and the fear of his coming would wake you up to get to work because he's coming back. And the question is, how will he find you? In closing, I want to thank you for tuning in to another episode of the PS Plus and to boldly challenge you to meditate on the reality of Christ's second coming. You know, aside from his crucifixion, I don't know that there's a more sobering, clarifying, and motivating truth to consider. The reality of the King's coming should frame the rest of your life. God bless.